Have you ever received a really, really rubbish Christmas present? Like one that you just like, I really want, don't want to have to pretend that this is something I want. I remember once getting a, a keyboard for Christmas and the last thing I wanted to do was practice the piano uh, for a keyboard. My own daughter has shouted out, she's got Christmas presents she hasn't wanted and we're gonna have to talk about that and go into counseling. But inside, you can really look forward to Christmas and then someone gives you this really duff present and you have to pretend, don't you? You have to pretend that you're delighted, that somehow they've given you like the winning lottery ticket or something, that it's been an amazing thing. And as we grow up, we learn to spare other people's feelings and we learn in society to be fake. We learn to grin and bear it, to pretend everything is okay, to pretend that this Christmas pair of socks is, yes, really what we wanted all along for Christmas. I want to read you um, a bit from a famous book by Mark Twain, and it says this. Shortly, Tom Sawyer came upon the juvenile pariah of the village, Huckleberry Finn. Huckleberry Finn was hated and dreaded by all the mothers of the town because he was idle and lawless and vulgar and bad and because all their children admired him so much and they delighted themselves in his forbidden society and they wished and dared to be like him. Tom Sawyer was like the rest of the boys in that he envied Huckleberry's um, condition and was under strict orders not to play with him. And so, of course, Tom played with him at every opportunity. So Huckleberry came and went at his own free will. He slept on doorsteps in fine weather and in empty hogsheads in wet. He did not have to go to school or church. Imagine that as a kid, not having to go not having to go to school or church. He didn't have to call anyone master or obey anyone. He could go fishing or swimming when and where he chose and stay as long as it suited him. Nobody forbade him to fight. He could sit up as late as he pleased. He was always the first boy that went barefoot in the spring and the last to resume leather in the fall. He never had to wash never had to put on clean clothes. He could swear wonderfully. In a word, everything that goes to make life precious, that boy had it. And so thought every harassed, hampered, respectable boy in the town. So in this great book by Mark Twain, we are given this character, Finn, as someone that lives outside society. He doesn't have to be fake for, every, for anyone. He can do whatever he feels like, whenever he feels like it. And those observations and envies are still true today. You will find children, even tonight, that have come in and they're like, why do we have to sit still? Why do we have to listen to the person up the front? Why can't we just make whatever noise and do whatever we, else we want? Why do I have to queue for the food? I hear there's pudding. Why do we have to have pudding at the end rather than the start? And there's all these polite things that adults do that kids think we're crazy to be going up to. 
often the children are happiest when they are running loose. And sometimes Sam and I will let them loose outside this building and they love running around on the grass and there's a tree that should be off limits but they climb up and down it and they don't have to wear shoes and they don't have to wear ties and they don't have to uh, all be prim and proper and they can be as they want to be. They can be uninhibited. Today, these shepherds are the Huckleberry Finns and the children. They are at the bottom of society. They have no one that they've got to impress. There's no one they have to suck up to. There is no one when they get a Christmas present, they have to go, oh, that's lovely, a lovely pair of socks. Fantastic, just what I always wanted. When you talk to them, when you live alongside them, you will find uninhibited, authentic behaviour. They do what they think is right. And so these shepherds are up there, and they're on their hills, and they're doing exactly as they see fit. And it is to these guys that these messengers from heaven come, these huckleberry fins on the mountainside. And the choir comes, and the message of God's Son comes. And what do these non-fake, authentic huckleberry fins do? They wonder at the story. They don't have to. They could let it pass them by. But they want to chase down what is going on. They aren't trying to be religious. They aren't trying to be respectable. They aren't trying to be anything other than they are when they go, is this Jesus real? Let's go and find him and see what the fuss is about. Inside their hearts, they have this earnest an authentic desire to discover God's purposes. They know they need him. In the adult text that the kids' text earlier was based on, we find these shepherds meet Jesus and then they come away and we find they are delighted. They are enthusiastic. They are full of songs and dance. It has changed them. And they go around spreading that. They go around telling others. They say, we have met joy. We have met light. And you and I might be familiar with this story. We might have felt that we have heard this story about shepherds too many times. I, uh, as a kid, used to do nativities both at church and at school um, and there was none of this newfangled nonsense where you'd try and change the story. It was shepherds and kings and baby Jesus and Joseph and Mary who could barely stand the sight of each other but had to be up the front in the nativity place. And some of us can think we are familiar with this story and some of us may think we are tired of it. And some of us may think that about God and church as well. We are here perhaps this evening under duress. But the truth is, if we don't look on with wonder, if we don't look into this story with bated breath, we have been tied up by clever-sounding words, by people that think they know better and that want to explain it away. We have been civilised by society. We have our fake 
smiles and nod politely. We have become accustomed to lies and fakes. Let me read you this uh, from a uh, kind of a new monk in America, and he writes this. Ah, the good old Christmas story conjures up warm feelings of Christmas plays, eggnog by the fire, and that shimmering Christmas tree we have all grown to love. The opening word of Luke's gospel have become a fixture in the liturgy of American cultural Christianity. Rather than shaking us to the core as it did those poor shepherds, the story of Jesus has been tamed, and now it sits nicely on the front of a cheesy Hallmark card, which you admit you eventually throw away anyway, don't you? But Luke's words instilled much courage and hope in Jesus' first followers. To those managing the affairs of state, they were grounds for arrest. It is not a nice story. It is a real-life account of something that has changed countless people's lives ever since. Now, when we think about it, it can be very confusing just to think, to talk vaguely about God and truth and joy. God means different things to different people. Um, only on Wednesday, I was sitting down chatting, and we were talking about Christmas, and the guy was obviously uh, not a Christian, and he was telling me how he'd taken a little statue of Jesus and added it to his private shrine in his home, and added it to all the other gods that he worshipped there. And so when you say to him, God and Son of God, he can just absorb it into uh, his own religion. But these angels don't want you to leave you confused. They don't want you to think that you can make up these definitions on your own. And they are very precise when they speak. Sophia and Emily read marvellously earlier on, and they spoke how the angel announced that God's son had been born. These are very precise words. He was to be found in Bethlehem and that it was good news. Now, to the regular person in Bubush, this doesn't really have any relevance, doesn't have any significance, it doesn't mean anything. We are not steeped in the uh, language and literature that these shepherds would have been. But to a Jew who knew the Old Testament, what the angel said would have had incredible consequences and significance. You see, the words and language these angels spoke referenced a very specific faith. It referenced the faith of characters from the Old Testament, of Noah and Moses and David and Leah and Daniel. The geography was very precise. Being born in Bethlehem was no accident. And the purpose of bringing salvation was something that was foretold in the Old Testament. The angel's message and the angel's song was an answer to a very, very, very old promise. God had given Israel. God had promised long ago that he would fix the broken world. The world that is broken by the evil that we constantly get up to. The evil that causes us to hoard stuff in our homes while others go hungry and barefoot. 
And this Jesus came to bring order. And so these simple farmers realised that at last, long, long last, God was launching this rescue plan that he had promised. And it turned out, just as Alastair really helpfully articulated earlier, that it wasn't just a boy being born, but it was God coming amongst us, living and dying for us. And here we go. Sophia on holiday. Friends, this evening we don't gather for a nice time. Not a nice custom that our parents brought us in. We don't want you to leave here with a vague sense of nostalgia in your heart for eggnog. When Kim spoke earlier, I really hope you heard her words. When Alistair spoke, I really hope you heard what he had to say. This is not something that we do as a hobby. You know, um, this is not equivalent to going down the gym or taking up poker. This is something that changes everything else. And many people here have had first-hand accounts of this same Jesus. This Jesus that lived, died and rose again. And he has changed us to the point that we will work really hard for a Christmas carol service because we want other people to know this same joy. We daily live it out, this good news that those angels announced. And they were right to proclaim it loudly. They were right to fill the skies with the glory. And those unpretentious, authentic shepherds were right to get thrilled and excited. The arrival of Jesus is the very best news for all those that know him as real king. And I want to finish now with the words of Gilbert Chesterton. Uh, He wrote uh, The Father Brown Mysteries, amongst many other things. And he found joy so much in the life of Jesus that he creates this guesswork that he thinks Jesus perpetually had to hide a smile because the joy of heaven was in him. It's right at the end of this uh, book called Orthodoxy, and it says this. Joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And as I close this book, I open again the strange small book which all Christianity comes from. And I am haunted by a kind of confirmation. The tremendous figure which fills the gospel towers in this respect, as in every other, above all the thinkers who ever thought themselves tall. The effect on his audience was natural and almost casual. The Stoics, ancient and modern, are proud of concealing their tears, but Jesus never concealed his tears. He showed them plainly on his open face at any daily sight. Yet he concealed something. Solemn supermen and imperial diplomats are proud of restraining their anger. He never restrained his anger. He flung furniture from the front steps of the temple and asked men how they expected to escape the damnation of hell. Yet he restrained something, and I say it with deep reverence. 
there was in that shattering personality of Jesus a thread that must be called shyness. There was something that he hid from all men, that he went up a mountain to pray. There was something that he covered constantly by abrupt silences or impetuous isolation. There was one thing that was too great for God to show us when he walked upon the earth. And I have sometimes fancied that he was his mirth. And so we're going to launch into a final carol and then eat the pudding that awaits you in the back. But as I finish, I want to encourage you to look into this Jesus a little further. This Jesus that Sophia and Emily read so well about. This Jesus that Kim and Alistair spoke so succinctly about. I encourage you to seek him out. Not because you're religious, not because you're proper, not because you want to do the right thing but because you want authentic, real, barefoot, huckleberry fin joy. How do you do this? Well, I've got a couple of suggestions. Pray directly to God. Alistair talked about God suddenly hitting him when he didn't expect it. Other Christians have talked about that too. Others have needed to grab a Christian. Grab a Christian. That's an invite uh, this evening. Find out something of why they believe what they believe. And if you uh, struggle with that, we have got some books in the sort of middle foyer bit uh, called Why Jesus that are a very slim line uh, edition of what we believe. And so look at it, investigate it. And uh, just before we launch into the song, I want to remind you that we are here Christmas Day uh, at nine o'clock for a very short, kid-friendly Christmas meeting. We meet here every Sunday at 10.30. And on the uh, 15th of January, on the Wednesday, we're going to start an Alpha course here. So there is no excuse for not being like a shepherd and finding some proper joy. Is that all right?